The Extra Pack of Peanuts Travel Podcast, Episode 100. In the UK, if you reach your 100th birthday, you get a personalized card from the Queen. How about your 100th podcast episode? I'm waiting, Queen Elizabeth. Hello, travel nerds, and welcome to the Extra Pack of Peanuts Travel Podcast, the show that teaches you how to travel more while spending less. I'm your host, Travis Sherry, and whether this is your first time listening or you've been with us for every step of this crazy ride, I want to say thank you for tuning in today and making us the number one rated travel podcast on iTunes. And no matter how many times you've listened, you're in luck today because we've got a great guest for you, someone who has skateboarded across Australia, paddleboarded the Mississippi, swam the lower Missouri, and who just recently completed a 48-day journey from Oslo to Helsinki in a Hobie kayak. Dave Cornthwaite of DaveCornthwaite.com, founder of the Say Yes More Project and of Expedition 1000. Dave, thanks so much for joining us today and welcome. Thanks very much, Trav. I think that's probably the best intro someone's given me at least this year. Oh, hey, well, I'm proud. The first question I have for you is what the heck is a Hobie kayak? Because I saw that and I figured, (laughs) well, I could look it up on Wikipedia or Google, but I might as well have you explain it to me. Yeah, definitely. A Hobie kayak is from afar. It appears to be exactly what you'd expect from a kayak. But the cool thing is it's, it's foot powered. It's pedal powered. So there's a hole in the hull and this thing called a mirage drive drops down through it and you use your feet so you're pushing and the propulsion system is not a propeller as you might expect from a pedalo kind of thing but it's uh, it's based on penguin flippers so there's two fins which go back and forth and speed you through the water it was developed for with fishermen in mind so you can go kayaking but with your hands free Wow, that's pretty cool. And we're going to talk about why you were in a Hobie kayak, of course, because most people are probably thinking, well, why did he go a thousand miles in a Hobie kayak? Why didn't he take a regular kayak? We're going to dive into all that kind of stuff. First, though, I want to mention the front of your website, it says that you quit being a couch potato in 2005. And I love that. That's, you know, it stuck out (laughs) to me the moment I first went there. Now, are you just playing this up or what was your life like before you became an adventurer. And that's, that is what your job title is now, an adventurer, an author, a motivational speaker. But ultimately, it's because of the adventures you're doing. So what were you doing before that? Well, back in my couch potato days, although I should specify, it wasn't actually a couch. It was just uh, an enormous sofa-sized beanbag. I absolutely <laughs> loved it. It was called a schmangle. Uh, I was a graphic designer, a really bad one. And I played PlayStation endlessly, you know, got incredibly drunk on the weekends, basically uh, bought lots of little shiny gadgets, all, I guess, in a way to just gently forget the misery that my day job delivered on a day-to-day basis. (laughs) Oh, gosh, I'm so glad those days have ended. I really am. (laughs) So you you were a a bad graphic designer, and it's 2005. 
what then leads you to now? I mean, now you've been doing almost 10 years. You've been an adventurer and we're going to, like I said, we're going to talk about all the crazy adventures that you've done, but I want to kind of get into how you made this transition because there's a lot of people out there listening who might be feeling the same way as that, right? Like, oh, well, I want to do stuff, but I'm stuck in this rut of playing PlayStation, getting drunk, sitting on my beanbag. Yeah, totally. And I think, I think it's a really relatable story. And there's a few ways you can look at it. I think, you know, maybe, maybe one of them is what do I want on my business card? Like this wasn't how my thought process went, but if back then I thought, gosh, I'd like to have adventure on my business card. Okay. How do I make that happen? You just do adventures and you just do it. You get out there, you say yes to stuff and make stuff happen. If you're in a rut, it's kind of a hole, isn't it? So you've got to form your own ladder to get out of it. I guess I just got to the point where all of the the kind of the fear and the potential to venture out into the unknown, all that stuff that is really scary and hard to break into was just steadily outweighed by the absolute pain and anguish of my day job. So, <laughs> you know, when it got to that stage, it was kind of easy just to say, no, I quit. I'm skateboarding across Australia. <laughs> Were, was that something that why you're sitting on, on your beanbag and you're sitting at the, did you think I want to do these adventures or was it kind of an epiphany where it came to you one day and you thought, I'm going to do it? Was it gnawing at you? Was it just, was it, you know, that sudden dramatic change? How did that kind of work out? You know, I got into this daily cycle, which, you know, I, I think is almost expected. Hey, you know, I, I went through education and I found myself a job and it was brilliant because then I could afford my house and all of those shiny gadgets. But, you know, I was just kind of trapped in it. And the moment I started to think about an alternative, you know, heaven forbid we should, you know, live a happy existence, uh, <laughs> was when it was on the morning of my 25th birthday and I woke up and my cat, Kiwa, was on my chest and I looked into her gorgeous green eyes and thought, you're about to have a much better day than I am. <laughs> and that doesn't seem fair and it doesn't seem right. So for a few months, I kind of let that idea brew. And is there something I can do to actually enjoy life? And and then I went snowboarding and, and loved the idea of it. It wasn't very good. And then I returned to my hometown, Swansea in South Wales, and, and got a long skateboard, a longboard. So I could basically improve my snowboarding skills in a town with no snow. And two weeks later, I just... I saw my town in a different light. I'd lived there for six years and uh, just this simple process of doing something new every day, kind of exploring the differences in that town because I was seeing it uh, from a new perspective. It changed everything. You know, suddenly I could appreciate a smooth surface on a road or a small hill that once upon a time I just, I'd walk down it or up it thousands of times, but it never meant anything. When I was on a skateboard, it meant something. So two weeks afterwards, I, I literally skated into work, quit my job and made myself a promise that I was going to skateboard further than anyone else had ever skated. I just want that feeling of newness every single day. And I knew that even though I didn't have kind of a, a long-term plan, I definitely didn't kind of have aspirations to be an adventurer back then. I just needed to become interesting. I wanted to inspire myself, I suppose, and a massive journey it had the potential to do that. So I just went for it. And isn't it amazing? I've, I've recently started biking over the last year and it's so much different than driving in a car and people are going <laughs> to listen and say, well, well, obviously it's different, but it's, it's different in that you see things you haven't seen. Like you said, I can go out for a bike ride. It's not really about where I'm going, but it's about the process of doing it and appreciating the stuff around you. And I know you're a good friend with, uh, Alistair Humphreys. He's been on this show and it's the idea of micro adventures. I think that really, 
you know, for you, it was, it was this, I'm going to longboard. I'm just going to do it. I'm going to get one because I like snowboarding with no real plan that then it was going to turn in and snowball into what you're doing now. But it was the idea that you decided to get out there and do something different. And it was a small thing at first. Yeah. And I think, well, I, I don't know. Some people would probably say that skating four and a half thousand miles isn't a small thing. But, you know, at the very basis, you have to start. You have to make that decision. And just as soon as you go, you know, the first push on the skateboard away from John O'Groats, Scotland or out of Perth, Australia. And then, you know, you just do a few more of those. And eventually, five months later, you make it to Brisbane. <laughs> yeah. And so that was your first real adventure then, right? Because I was mentioning that, yeah, you did a small thing of getting the longboard and going around your town. And then you said, okay, two weeks later or a month later, I'm going to quit my job. And now I'm going to do this, this crazy adventure. So that was your first one was longboarding. Was it across Australia at first? Yeah, well, I, I skated the length of the UK, mainly because I, I'd never done an endurance trip before. So I, and I, and I couldn't really skate. <laughs> so I, I thought, right, <laughs> let's, you know, let's learn how to skate and let's work out how to do a trip properly. And then I'll kind of be ready to go for this world record, which was the, I guess, the goal I'd set myself. And Australia was next on the list. So I had a couple of months rest after my, my 900 mile warm up, the length of Britain. And then I flew out to Oz and yeah, spent 156 days skating across there. And I can safely say I'm kind of a capable longboarder now. Yeah, I, I would hope so. Or else <laughs> that would probably take a lot longer. So then you took that trip. And what was it like during that first trip? Because now I think a lot of people will look at what you're doing and say, okay, well, he's done this, this, and this before, so it must get easier because he knows he can do it. But this was your first long one, whether it's, it's the UK one or then the Australia one, which was even bigger. Were there times in there that you thought, you know what, I'm like, this is, this is silly. Like, I should just go back to the job I had. You know, why am I on longboard? It seemed like a good idea when I first started, but now three days in or five days in, it's really <laughs> starting to suck. What, what, you know, what was the thought process as you were actually doing it? Well, I mean, first of all, you're, you're completely right in that some things definitely get easier. You know, the more, the more I do this, it's not a surprise anymore when I go to, you know, if I say to my mum, mum, you know, I'm, I'm going to space next week. You know, she wouldn't even flutter an eyelid. But back then, I, I guess I was just bolstered by common sense. I, I never got to the point where I thought, this is, this is not doable. This is impossible. I'm going back to my job because I'd, I'd left the job behind because it was just, it, it stolen my soul. I was a waste of a human being, basically. And I, I knew I was on a really good path and I wanted to hurt. I wanted to be, have a struggle for the first time in my life. So even though, yeah, it was definitely hard and sometimes I wanted to and often did just kind of lie down at the side of the road and have a, have a sleep. I knew if I carried on going, it's just that simple common sense, isn't it? If you can travel 10 meters by skateboard, you can travel 3,000 miles and you just need to keep on going. And and I did. You just need the time and the will. <laughs> yeah. And for you then, was there ever a timetable that you set out for the project or was it just kind of haphazard? I'm going to go until I can't go anymore today. I'm going to take this day off. I'm going to do that. Or, or did you have in your head framed out, all right, it's probably going to take me this amount of days. And did you try to stick to some sort of guideline? Um, I tried not to have too many, too many guidelines. Uh, I wanted it to kind of be very organic and, and to happen as it happened. But because it was a, a world record attempt and because people started getting interested in the concept, especially of, you know, a, a pale skinned, redheaded man <laughs> skateboarding without shelter across one of the hottest countries in the world, <laughs> there was some interest in it. I became that kind of weird corner story in all the tabloids. And now and then someone actually paid attention to it and kind of focused on it seriously. So there was a lot of interest 
in the thing. And because of that, I, I had the occasional kind of media commitment or a talk in a school. So in a way, a time schedule slowly grew around the project, which meant sometimes I'd have to skate a certain amount of miles this week or this day to get to a place. But that was nice as well, because I think, you know, having a few days where I could literally just skate as far as I could and then really just make camp, sleep, eat all of that stuff and wake up the next morning and go again. Sometimes it's nice just to mix it up and and have a real target that day. Yeah, have a have a goal instead of just saying, well, I'm going to go until I don't want to go or, you know, there's there's that extrinsic motivation, which sometimes helps in things like this. You can't do it completely for extrinsic motivation or you're probably not going to complete it, but it's nice to have that along the way. Right. The balance, the balance is really nice. And, and as time's gone on, you know, I, I tend to have a, a few commitments here and there during a journey, but I also ensure that I have a good bit of time set aside so I can just enjoy it and, you know, literally travel to the to the confines of my body and my mind and, and the place where I am, just really enjoy where, where the experience is taking us. So that balance is key. And, and this skateboard trip then across Australia was the, the first leg of your Expedition 1000 project. And I want you to speak a little bit about that. Did that project come about? Did you have the idea for that before you took the skateboarding trip? Did it happen during it or was it something that came about afterwards? Um, no, I didn't have it before. It's a really good question because it's that project now, Expedition 1000, almost defines me to a lot of other people who kind of find out what I'm up to. Oh, you're, you're the guy who's doing the Expedition 1000 project. But for me, it came about actually after I'd done my second big journey. So I did the skateboarding across Australia in 2006. And then in 2009, I'd finally got my act together and, and gotten around to doing a second trip. And after that, which was a two and a half thousand kilometer kayak paddle down the Murray River, also in Australia. After that, I, I just thought, I need a bigger project that not only brings together what I've done before on the skateboard and the kayak, but also gives me a lot of ambition and focus going on into the future. So I came up with Expedition 1000, um, which you might agree is fairly ambitious. The idea is to do 25 different trips and each one is a minimum 1000 miles in distance. And each one uses a different form of non-motorized transport, which is the really cool thing. So every journey H- hence is Hence really the Hobie kayak. Hence the Hobie kayak. I'd already done the the normal standard paddle kayak trip in Australia in 2009. So yeah, Hobie was very different using the feed. And with this Expedition 1000 project, so you had the idea after your second one, you know, you've said that it's probably going to take about 12 years to complete. How do you keep focused on such a big project? Because there's 25 mini projects. I wouldn't even call them mini. There's 25 crazy adventures (laughs) with the umbrella over this big project. What do you focus on? I kind of want to dig into your thought process behind it. Do you know what you're going to do beforehand? Do you just see a crazy contraption and think, hey, I'm going to ride that from here to here and it's going to be a thousand miles? How does it exactly work? Yeah, well, isn't, isn't it cool that suddenly, you know, because of this larger project, you're looking at, you know, a, a big expedition of uh, well over a thousand miles sometimes. Um, and, and then that's just a little thing, you know, <laughs> right, <laughs> and, right. and, and that kind of shapes it down and it puts everything in perspective. And even if on one journey, you're just, you could just kind of pare things down day by day, then suddenly that 40 kilometers on a skateboard seems way more achievable than the larger goal, which is maybe 6,000 kilometers. So by doing that, it makes the whole thing, you know, kind of an easy concept to deal with. How do I keep focused? Well, it, it does harness me so I don't waste any time. You know, I've always got something to look forward to. And if, if a gap, if a few months pops up in my schedule and I think, 
I think, right, you know, it's time to tick off another one. But in many ways, it's just a guarantee that I have a good period of time where I can almost stop and think and realize who I am, recalculate and process everything that's happened. So almost when I need a rest, then I go off and do another one of these thousand mile journeys. It's, <laughs> it's in between that, you know, the real juicy stuff happens, the, the projects that say yes more, the, the talks, writing books. <laughs> so at, th- at this point, the, the actual expeditions, the, the adventures that you're doing are kind of, I, I want to say therapeutic. Like you can go off and you can, and you can go off and, and just do them and not worry about all the stuff around it. It's actually just the process of either kayaking or skateboarding or whatever form of transportation you're taking. Yeah, exactly. And it, it is, it is kind of therapy. It's a really cathartic you know, process going through one of these journeys, you get into the monotony day by day of slowly moving across the planet's surface, however you've chosen to do it, you know, of course, engaging with people along the way. And that, that the whole beauty of adventure for me is, you know, this learning process. I think one of the things that I definitely missed out on in kind of my man-made world when I was, you know, doing the same thing every day, a, a job that didn't really satisfy me. Uh, I li- was living in the same place, said no to a lot of stuff, wasn't really developing myself, you know, creatively or or through the process of doing new things. And I, I didn't know myself because of that. I didn't put myself through really hard challenges. And I also didn't experience super high joys, which you can only really feel after you've really put yourself through the mill to get there. And because of that, you know, I'm constantly changing. I have no, no two days are the same anymore. And it's nice just to kind of go into a journey and really understand who I am. And I learn from the people that I meet, the challenges I go through, almost the, the process of how I, how I frame my mind around, you know, what is really, you know, this monotonous plod, plod, plod sometimes, but still at the same time in the middle of that, feeling that struggle just to get to the end of a day, being able to laugh out loud at the smallest things and, you know, being happy with myself. And ultimately that brings us to, you know, how we can make choices really effectively to suit who we are. And I think you can only do that if you know yourself totally. And what's so interesting is that you have this dichotomy between the monotony of the day-to-day of I'm going to skateboard this far or paddle this far, and it really is boring in a sense on the day-to-day level, but then you have the part that that's what keeps you alive and that that's what makes you happy. And so this these projects, you know, you're seeing things that other people aren't seeing and you're feeling alive and your senses are alive, and yet overall it's it's fairly monotonous i think that's a very interesting thing that a lot of people who don't travel or don't do these type of projects have a hard time wrapping their head around cuz they're like well wouldn't that get boring if you're in the middle of kansas and you're seeing cornfields every day and i guess your answer would be yes and no right i mean it is on a surface level but then you have all the other little things that you'd never see if you weren't actually doing that yeah right totally and and then the question is you know why is this worth it it, or is this worth it? I think quite often people like the idea of going off a big adventure and being able to make these films and have these photos and stories that they can, you know, then share around a pine, you know. But when they get into the middle of it and it's hard and you're tired and sweating and hurting, a lot of people give up. But, you know, battling through that means you you earn so much. The reward is beautiful. Imagine coming to a town that you've never visited before, a big city, and you got there under your own steam, having kayaked or skateboarded or tandem biked 
hundreds of miles that feels good you know even even getting to a gas station in the middle of a desert having seen the same thing pretty much day in day out for days on end and then you just get to a gas station and and the beauty of just having a coffee you know it really means something to you rather than getting in a car putting your foot down a little bit and then suddenly you've been closed off to everything your senses are kind of numbed and then you get to a gas station and you stop because you need a pee not because you need this joyous experience of rest and coffee you know <laughs> i love really valuing everything that that comes as a I guess as a result of all that plod, 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 it's, it becomes worth it. And then slowly, as you accept that, then, you know, even that monotonous action becomes really rewarding if you understand what it's giving you. Yeah, because you know that when you get to the end, the sense of fulfillment that you're going to have, or, or even not even the end, but just the next part of it, or the, or like you said, the next gas station or the end of the day, you know, you can sit back and think, I did something that a lot of people wouldn't do because it's not it's not crazy cool or it's not sexy, right? I mean, the whole project is, but the day-to-day monotony isn't. But I've done it, and I know that I've done it only through my own perseverance and will, power, and stuff like that. And that's something that I think a lot of us don't get to say very often with our jobs because it is you're doing work for someone else. You're doing something for someone else because they told you to do it. And here, you're continuing on in the journey really only for yourself. There's no one else who's benefiting completely from it like you are. Yeah, totally. First and foremost, it's a selfish act. What I really love is that you know, slowly when you realize what you're capable of, and this is why adventure is such a brilliant tool. And I just encourage people to get out there and just try it, force yourself through the hard bits and get to the end and understand not only how it feels, but what you're capable of. You know, you realize that you're, you're so much bigger than you were before that trip. And this happens every single time. There's no real buffer to your ability to expand your capacity or potential you constantly grow with these experiences and um, the harder it is, the more you learn. So after that, you think, right, well, you know, what's the bigger purpose here on a day-to-day level? It's lovely to be self-satisfied with what you've accomplished, but really it doesn't mean anything to anybody else. Only you can truly feel that. And then the idea is, okay, so now I know what I'm capable of. What can I do that really makes a difference in a larger scheme? And I guess for me, that's where all my extrinsic projects come in you know i'm just taking a few of the lessons that i've i guess my adventures have taught me along the way and and trying to put them into some good use yeah i think that's with a lot of projects even with this podcast it becomes well i'm very excited i get to speak to dave today it's great i can have him come on the show but what's the bigger picture and the bigger picture is getting you on to talk about what you've done and hopefully people can take that feeling away from it they can listen to it and they can say Right. Well, I don't want to skateboard across Australia. That dude's crazy. I don't even like to skateboard, but maybe there's something that they want to do, or maybe they relate to you being a couch potato and they think, Oh my gosh, this is exactly where I am right now. And how can we then give them, the people who are listening and the people who are reading your site and following your ventures, how can you give them a little bit of motivation and a little bit of passion and a little bit of that feeling that you feel on the road? And that's never an easy thing. And you kind of just hope that by doing it and by having joy with what you're doing, that hopefully people latch onto that and, and, and take it in whatever direction they want with their life. Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, we're, we're all completely different. Okay. You know, from the outside, we, we look kind of similar, but inside internally, the things that make us tick differ from person to person. So, you know, 
I think everybody will, will pick something up from our conversation today, but everyone will take something different away from it. You might be able to relate to the, the couch potato. I think, you know, secretly we're all kind of, we all kind of crave being a couch potato, <laughs> but we understand that it wouldn't be overly beneficial if we did it all <laughs> for the rest of our lives. I think the absolute key for me is we, we're capable of, of changing ourselves, of evolving, of developing with every new experience we have. Every time we do something new, we grow. So with that in mind, our potential is only really limited by our lifespan. But I want to fit as much as I can into that. I want to work out who I can be and what I can do before I say, cheerio, everybody. You know, I want to be able to look back and think, I couldn't have done more. You know, I really want to expand my horizons as much as possible. And, and adventure is, is one way to do that, but it's, it's different for everybody. So all you've got to do is, I, I know it make it sound kind of trivial, but actually it's how do you want to spend your time? Where do you want to spend it? And are you willing to kind of, adjust the journey as it goes on because you know your <laughs> your perspective changes with with all of these new things as well and then just just start you know you've got to get going i think uh it would it would just be ever such a shame to you know get into older years and think oh man i could have spent my 20s differently you know? right right and everyone thinks they they wish they started earlier, right? We all say that. I'm sure you were like, "Well, I wish I started before I was 25." And someone listening might say, "Well, I'm thir- like me, I'm 31. I haven't done a crazy adventure." It's not really the age that you started. It's as you mentioned, just doing it because you're always going to look back and say, "I wish I did something earlier." But do you want to do that 10 years from now or do you want to look back 10 years from now and say, "I'm glad I started 10 years ago?" Well, exactly. I mean, you're in a position right now to avoid ever having to say, I wish I'd done that. And it right, but it starts just now. by doing it. <laughs> every single decision you make, every choice you make from now on affects your future. It's up to you. You know, you can either choose to do something that you know is going to be very good for you, or you can choose to do something that you know compromises you. It's one or the other, really. So every time you say yes to something, you've got to say no to something else, but you've got to work out what that compromise is. And sometimes going with your heart you know, and, that, and often, very often, that means you're going to be facing up to criticism, doubt, usually from people who you love and care about you. But, you know, I think the, the key thing, you know, when you're, when you're facing up to this kind of social uncertainty about your new decision, you just realize that when people are kind of doubting you, they're actually just speaking to themselves because they, they haven't done it. Because anybody who has made a really big leap and gone on to make something of themselves, you know, escape the norm, they will never ever say, are you really sure you want to do this? You know, those spiders in Australia will probably kill you. <laughs> right. It's, it's amazing. And your, your Say Yes More project, you know, it's kind of the motto that embodies what you're doing and, and all the adventures. And it's an easy but powerful message. And I think we've kind of talked about that. But what is the, with the Say Yes More project, what is the goal? And I think you brought up an important point. I want you to speak to this a little bit too, is that a lot of people listening might feel alone in their thoughts of, you know, I want to go and do that, but all my friends don't do that. And I know I felt that way before, and I'm sure you felt that way. When you have to pull yourself out the first time and say, I'm going to leave this old life behind, even if it's just for one adventure, or maybe it's for a lifetime of adventure, a whole life-changing thing. How can people do that? Where can they find others that relate to them? Because that, I think, is one of, if not the biggest obstacle, not actually doing what they want to do, 
but kind of convincing other people or, or breaking through that barrier of other people saying, oh, well, you know, that's that's funny, Travis. That sounds cool. But, you know, why why are you going to do that? Just stay here and do this. <laughs> well, I think the key is, you know, it really doesn't matter what anybody else thinks. It's your life. It's your time. You have to do what makes you tick. You know, there's there's absolutely no two ways about it. So, you know, there's there's a couple of sides to this. One, I know it's not easy. I've, I've been there. You know, it took a long time for me to finally break out of that shell that uh, yeah I created for myself but it was much easier to do that because that's what everybody does but as soon as I was out of it you know more and more and it took me a while I stopped caring really what anybody else thinks about me and what I'm doing because ultimately if I want to do something I have to do it you know it's my life let me grow let me let me go and be free and how dare you you know inflict your own fears and doubts upon me because you know, that's crazy. I wouldn't do that to you. And now I'm in a position where I know the worth of being that positive nudge in someone's life. And, and Say Yes More is, is partly that. It's I, I am really reluctant to call it a brand, although the best brands are the most simple. You know, the message is right there. It's so clear. And saying yes just opens up more doors. It means you're going to go off and do something. And by the process of doing that, you might meet somebody, you might learn something, you might see something, and that's just going to open up more doors for you to walk through. And, and suddenly, before you know it, there's so many doors and you just get to choose. So what I'd say is just realize that you, every, I know I'm talking to you, the one who's listening to this podcast, you have people around you who are going to be brave enough one day to decide to do something new. And you can either be the one who says, are you really sure you want to do this? I'm not sure I can support you because you might die, you might hurt yourself, you might fail, and you're almost certainly giving up something that you've worked hard for. But think about how brave they've had to be to even voice this new you know, revelation of an idea. Don't be that person who says no to them. Just be the person who says, that's awesome. I'm right behind you. You know, If you need someone to talk to you, if you need some support, I'm going to help you. That just makes the world a better place. Be that positive nudge. Yeah, and what's so interesting is I think once you start doing stuff. So I, I've I've mentioned it to you. I've mentioned it on the podcast before. So if people have listened, you know, I said I want to lift to go across the U.S. and they actually people put me in touch with you because you've done uh, that journey. You and Squash have done a huge lift to go journey, and you know I'm no one special. You know, I, I I've never done a crazy adventure. the The whole point of the adventure is saying like, hey, I've had this idea that I wanted to do it. Very similar to your skateboarding trip where you thought. I'm going to try to set a world record. And it's funny because the more people I tell, you, you know, it's very divided. It's, well, that is really dumb or, or not even dumb. That Like, why are you going to waste three or four or five months <laughs> doing that? What is the point? Like, what about how are you going to put out a daily podcast? Like all the logical explanations, right? You have that camp and then you have the camp of people who are like, can I come with you? That's awesome. I want to do that. And it's it's funny. I think the more that you do something and just telling someone that you're going to do it, I think has a lot of value because it gets it out of your own head and it kind of puts it out there. But also just just going out there and putting it out there, you, you kind of see who is going to be on board and who isn't. And then it's very easy to say, well, I'm going to align myself with the people who are going to support me. And it might not always be your closest friends or family, but there are going to be people out there who will. And if you're gonna, if you're strong enough to do it, and you want to do it, then you have to kind of start leaning on them for help and advice and support, and motivation, and all that stuff. Yeah, totally. And, you know, who do you want to spend your time with? People who tell you you can't do something, or people who tell you you can. You know, it's it's kind of simple, and you you've got a choice as well whether you can be one of those people as well. And by mate, I think it's a brilliant idea. 
I mean, it's not about elliptigoing however far you want to elliptigo. That's just, that's just your, your steed of choice. It's everything <laughs> that happens along the way. The world record doesn't even matter. You know, anyone, anyone could break a distance world record. All they need to do is just do it for longer than anybody else. Right, right. You know, <laughs> that's all. If Be you, more stubborn and more persistent. Right. The only way you can ensure that a world record is your own for life is to start when you're one years old and begin on your elliptigo then and carry on until you're 99. No one else is, else is ever going to beat that. <laughs> it's not the distance. It's, it's just what happens on that trip, the people you meet and the things you learn about yourself. Of course, you'll also be super fit. But I think the, the key for me is I do all of these endurance journeys. I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm in half decent condition, but I never train for any of them. I never go to the gym. I just get fit in the first couple of weeks of each journey. Oh, well, you're, you're breaking the myth here because I keep asking every British adventurer who comes on here. I'm like, you're superhuman, right? Like, just tell me you're superhuman so the rest of us don't have to feel bad that we're not doing it. No, feel and bad. All <laughs> of you are so humble. Oh, I'm just a regular Joe who eats potato chips and sits on the couch and then I go out and do it. I, I am just a chocolate fiend. I, I, <laughs> I can't avoid the donuts when I go into a little shop. I drink way too much coffee. I have sugar and everything, but. You know, I'm, I just sit here and kind of develop a pot belly for three months while I'm writing a book or doing some talks and stuff. And then I think it's probably time to trim up again. So I'm just going to go and do a thousand miles somehow, you know. <laughs> so one of these days, you're going to have to give me the name of someone who is superhuman because I definitely want one of them on the show. But you're telling <laughs> us again. So now you're staying in line, the, the party line of British adventurers that you're not superhuman, you're regular people. But let's, let's list out the legs so far of the Expedition 1000 project. Cause as you said, you know, it's, you're doing it 25 different ways. I think you just completed number 11, just so people can get an idea of what you've done. Because I think it's really cool that you decided that you're going to take different modes of transportation and that it's all over a thousand miles. So if people, just to give them an idea of what you've done so far. Okay. That's right. So prepare yourself. This can become mind boggling. Now that, folks, is what we call a cliffhanger. We had so much good information from Dave that we have split his interview up into two episodes. So if you want to find out everything that Dave has done so far in his Expedition 1000 series, you're going to have to tune in tomorrow for part two of his interview. Of course, if you're listening to this in the future, you can roll right into that, find out everything that he's done right away. Dave's also going to tell us how he hurt himself while not actually performing one of the Expedition 1000 events. Also, proof that he's not superhuman. His preference when it comes to solo versus pair travel. How he balances life and work while doing his quests. A funny story about the Mississippi and a brand new project that Dave is working on. All of that is going to be found in the second part of the interview. You can get that at extrapackofpeanuts.com slash pods, or of course, you can get that on iTunes or Stitcher or however you listen to this podcast. Now, I also have two very important announcements to make. The first is that we are running yet another survey. We have done Podcast Gluttony now for two whole months, and we want to know what you guys like and how we're doing. So you can go to extrapackofpeanuts.com slash survey. Fill that out. We'd 
we'd really, really appreciate it. And because we appreciate it, we will be giving out a $50 Amazon gift card to one lucky winner, just like we did last time when Paulo Scurry won the $50 Amazon gift card. So we will be giving that out. Make sure you leave your email address when you fill out the survey, extrapackofpeanuts.com slash survey. And second, I want to ask one small favor very easy to do, but it would make a huge impact. We are going to try to rank, now that we have had a 100 episodes, we are going to try to rank in iTunes overall top 100 podcasts. And in order to do that, what I am asking people to do is subscribe to the Extra Pack of Peanuts podcast on one day. That's Wednesday, November 5th. Wednesday, November 5th, 2014. Please subscribe to the Extra Pack of Peanuts podcast If we can get a bunch of people to subscribe in a 24-hour period, we have a shot of cracking the top 100 podcasts overall on iTunes. That would be absolutely phenomenal. So if you guys can, please subscribe to the Extra Pack of Peanuts podcast on iTunes Wednesday, November 5th. We're going to try to get everyone to do it on the same day. Thank you guys so much for all the support. Don't forget to check out the second part of the interview with Dave, which will be coming out tomorrow. And as always, happy free travels.